Thanks. Well, hey, everybody. How you doing? Good, 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 good. It's a good day to be in church, isn't it? Yeah, I want to invite Jennifer to come up. Where'd she go? There she is. All right. Yeah, come on up. Come on up. And, uh, and you guys, so we were going to do, we've been talking about small groups and here, have a seat. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so we've been talking about small groups and uh, you guys, it, it's small group season and it is so good to, uh, to, this is, I'm telling you, this is one of the best parts about our church. And so today I have invited uh, Jennifer up here to come and, and talk about small groups. And so, yeah. um, so Jennifer, what, what are some things that you like about small groups? Um, I like small groups because I've met so many great people um, from the church here. So I'm, I'm new. Um, I've been here about six months and I wouldn't know um, this church was made up of so many great believers um, and strong Christians if I hadn't gone to small group. Not saying, you know, I mean, Sunday oh, service yeah, is yeah, great and everything, yeah. but you get that one-to-one intimate connection. And so I love the connections I've made. Yeah, yeah. No, small groups are better than Sundays. I mean. No, 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 no. no. I, <laughs> anybody who's been. apples and oranges. You it, can't compare It's the secret them. sauce <laughs> of the church, really. I mean, it really is. This is why we do small groups is because. Sunday is the tip of the iceberg, but there's so much more that, that's in, uh, here at the church when you start getting involved in small groups. And uh, is there anything specific that maybe stood out to you or maybe any specific um, instances of things that, that kind of, uh, I don't know, maybe a value, something you just really found valuable in small groups? Um, well, obviously, I mean, I'm not, I, I, I've loved it all. Um, so I, I think what's most valuable is just going every week. Um, seeing this group like come together, we're joking around now, but we're encouraging each other, we're praying for each other. And then um, the one thing that I like most about small groups is just seeing how God is using each person with their specific gifts and talents to either encourage someone or pray for someone, um, sharing their knowledge, giving us deeper revelation into who God is, his heart, his word. And so it's what I like most about it. My favorite part is just my connection with God and his and our family, you know, my brothers and sisters, is stronger than when before I came to small group. That's, so thank you. That's fantastic. So, yeah. so there's people here I know. Some people have you've joined small groups and you know what's here. But there's some people that they're on the fence. They're not sure. They're deciding. What would you say to the person who's maybe not sure if they're ready to sign up for a small group? Um, well, I would just say that um, I've been coming here six months. This church is great. You're an amazing pastor. Um, and I would say, you know what, just try it. I mean, it's not like you're getting married to it. I mean, try it. See if you like it. Um, and be prepared because God is going to get ready to use you to help somebody. And then God's probably got somebody perfect that can help you, encourage you, or maybe just give you that little extra, like, you know, God moment. So I, I, I treasure them. So I would encourage you to go. That's so fantastic. Hey, guys, will you give her a hand for coming up here and sharing? And thank you so much for, for sharing. And, and I, I got to tell you that it, it takes guts to come up here and, and be on stage. Um, it, it's, it's funny when you get up here and all these eyeballs are looking at you. And, and uh, I mean, you, you, good looking eyeballs, I might add. So we might not be the biggest church in town, but we are the best looking church in town. Can I get an amen? Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> we are the, the best looking church in town. So I got, I got to tell you that we have um, a couple of things coming up here. Uh, every, every year and towards the end of January, we take a week of prayer and we kind of focus on a week of prayer. It's five days. It's a business week of prayer. <laughs> and so Monday through Friday of this week, we're going to be praying for different things. Uh, if, if you are on our email list, you're going to be getting uh, emails about this. Um, if you're on our social media, you'll be getting our social media. And we'll kind of have some updates of stuff we're praying for. But in the midst of that Monday night, 
Wednesday night and Friday night, we're going to have a prayer meeting here at the church at 6.30 p.m. And, and I just want to invite everyone to come and join. And, and so um, those three nights, we're going to be doing something. Friday night, we're going to have um, you know, live worship and everything. And so it's going to be um, a good time to kind of wrap it up. And we're praying for our city. We're praying for um, like our country. We're praying for our families. We're praying for some different focuses. And so stay tuned on all of our electronic mediums and stuff. You'll see all the different daily updates coming out on that stuff. And uh, I just encourage you to join us in there. And also, I would pray, I would just ask you to pray about maybe even fasting during this week. You know, uh, fasting and prayer goes hand in hand all through scripture. And, and so fasting, for, for some of you might be, um, I'm going to fast all food and, and just going to do water for five days. Or, or maybe it's something where you're just going to fast a certain thing. There's like things like a Daniel fast. You could look up and, and do that if you'd like or, or something. So I would just encourage you to fast and, and pray over this next few days as we're praying for our church and praying for our city. And then our Connect class is coming up February 2nd during our second service. So if, you, if you're new here, you haven't gotten plugged in, doing anything yet, we'd love to get you involved. And, and this is your first step or your next step, rather, to get involved around the church. And so please come join us. It'll be um, a lot of fun. And, uh, and, and you get to know a little bit about the church and the heart of who we are. And, um, and we get to know a little bit more about you. And uh, this is also the time where we're going to receive our tithes and offerings. And so if you came prepared to give today, um, you can do that um, electronically on our website or, or, or by texting in to get to the website. Or if, you have an, if you're more an analog, we have drop boxes for checks and cash. And let's pray over the tithes and offerings. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you've given us, that, that you have blessed us to be a blessing. And God, as we return the tithe to you, and God, we just ask that you would bless that money. And everywhere that those finances go, God, that, that your name would be made known and that it would have exponential impact impact in, in every aspect of, that it touches. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, we're in, in a series called Dollars and Cents. Dollars and Cents. Now, now I, I, uh, we, 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 we do this uh, every few years. We'll go and kind of do like a, a little series on money. And, and, uh, and we want to talk about dollars and cents because, gosh, guys, everywhere we look around the world, dollars and cents are, are, are out everywhere that we look. We see it all over the the news, all over social media, all over everything in our life. And, and even through the scripture, there's a lot of stuff about money and finances and resources. And, and it's an awkward topic sometimes uh, because I don't want to talk about money. And all the church ever does is talk about money. And that's not all we talk about, actually. But it's something that we do need to talk about occasionally, right? And, and so in order to you know, keep it a little lighthearted, I, I thought um, I would tell you a couple of jokes. The first one is there's a mom and a kid interacting. And the kid says, hey, mom, can I have 20 bucks? And the the mom says, uh, you know, what, do you think I'm made of money? And the kid thought, thought for a second, well, M-O-M. Yeah, I mean, isn't that what it stands for? And, and by the way, if money doesn't grow on trees, why are banks called branches? <laughs> so there's a woman in a, in, who got off of work. She was tired. She gets on a train. She's getting, taking the train home. And, and this lawyer boards the train and sits next to her. And, 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 and the the, the lady just wants to rest, close her eyes, take a little nap on the way home. And, and the lawyer is there and, and says, I was trying to chat with her, and, and she's just not having it. She's, like, really tired. And he's like, let's play a game. Let's do this. And she's like, I'm not interested. Let's play a game. If I ask you a question, and, and if, you, if you can't answer it, then you give me five bucks and, and vice versa. You know? And the lady's like, no, I'm not doing that. Let's, leave me alone. i got to sleep. And he's like, let's make it interesting. If, if I ask you a question and you can't answer it, you give me five bucks. But if you ask me a question and I can't answer it, I'll give you 500. She's like, 
all right, fine, fine. I'll just, just play this dumb game. I'll get you to go away. And so, so the, 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 the guy asks the lady, she's like, how many miles, how, how far away is, is the earth from the moon? And she's kind of half dozing off. She reaches in her wallet, hands him five bucks, and thinks like he's going to go away. And then she says, um, she tells him, so what goes up a hill with three legs and comes back down with four? And he's like, oh, man, I'm not sure. So he's texting some friends. He's, he's Googling it. He's trying to figure it out. He's calling people. And, and he's like, really, like he, he's stumped. He's like, I'm, I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up. Well, she's like, well, my stop's next, you know. And so the, the train comes to the, she's gathering her stuff. And he's like, you know, I don't really, okay. She's, so he pulls out 500 bucks and gives her $500. And, and she puts it in the pocket. And she's walking away. He's like, well, what is it? He, and she pulls out and gives him five bucks and keeps walking. Money is all kinds in the Bible, guys. It's everywhere. And in fact, we, we like to talk about prayer. You know, prayers in the Bible. Oh, yeah, we can talk about prayer. Let's, we can talk about prayer all the time because prayer's in the Bible, and, and that's easy to talk about. You know, prayer is mentioned over 350 times in the Bible. Loving others. We like to talk about loving others, don't we? Like, you know, we're going to love other people. Christians pray and Christians love others. Like, yeah, totally, right? It's all in the Bible. 375 times or more loving others is in the Bible. I don't want to talk about money. Like that, now, you're, now you're meddling, Pastor. You're meddling. I don't want, I just don't talk about my money. But do you realize that money is mentioned over 800 times in the Bible? More than prayer, more than loving others. It's mentioned money or resources or financial resources. 65% of Jesus' stories actually involved money of some sort. So, so money is all through scripture and it's there for a reason because, because money has some serious implications and some ties to, to what we do. In fact, it shows this is some interesting things. We, we talked about generosity in our culture. We talked about how the average American gives 2.6% of their money away in donations. And then everybody says, well, if I made a little more, then I could give away a little more. But the more money you make, that percentage actually goes down. The dollar value might be going up, but the percentage is going down. So less generous even the more money you make. So if your household makes $100,000 or more, um, then, then you, that, that number goes from 26 to two percent Four percent. It's it's interesting to see the generosity in our in our culture in our country. How sometimes we think we're generous, but but we're really maybe not. This is interesting too. I, I pulled the stats on this. So church members that give consistently or, or tithing on a consistent regular basis, it's it's um, only ten percent of church members give on a regular basis on a disciplined type of what would be giving or tithing. And it's interesting. You hear stats like this, and and I want to remind you because through this series, I've been trying my best um, to remind you and, and say this, that this is not a reactionary. This is not something that is, um, you know, gee, you know, we missed our mortgage payment. Let's, tithe, let's talk about tithing. No, 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 no. The church is fine. We have money in the bank. Our bills are paid. Things are going well. Um, I'm not talking about this in a reactionary to the position of the church. I'm talking about this about visionary, about where the church is going, but also about the blessing of God that's on your life when you live according to his word. And so it's, it's, that's really the heart behind this. I hope you hear that through this series. But this is important because everything in life is connected. Everything in, in our lives are connected. In fact, money is connected to everything else in life. In fact, people who are depressed tend to be more in debt. And I don't know if it's the debt that leads to depression or the depression that leads to debt because retail therapy is something that's real, right? You're not feeling good. You go buy something for yourself to help yourself feel better. And, and so you start to see how even depression and finances are connected. And you start to see how everything in life is getting connected. In fact, when you look at, at divorce in, in, our, in our culture, money is one of the top reasons cited in divorce. 
I heard it the other day, you know, if marriage is grand, then divorce is 10 grand. If that's one of the main sites, things that are cited in, in there is, is money issues, you know. Money can put tension in your family and in your life. Have you noticed that when, you, when, you, when your money is lacking, things at home can get stressful. Things can get stressful. When, when you, you seem like you have more months than money, things at home get stressful. Now, they say money can't buy happiness, but I'm willing to try right? If, if you were to give me enough money to, to I'm willing to try, right? And so it, it's, but money won't buy you happiness, but sometimes having a lack of money will put another level of stress on your finances. And, and that, that stress can, can trickle over into your relationships, can trickle, trickle over into other areas of your life. And so today we're going to be looking at some scripture about money. And, and we're going to look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 if you have that, you can have a Bible or maybe it's an app on your phone. Or if you're new to all of this, we'll have it right here on the screen for you. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, it says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So, so here's the deal. We can say with our mouth all we want that we love Jesus, but Jesus says, show me your treasure and and then I'll show you where your heart is. When I was a kid growing up, my dad used to say this, show me your checkbook. Let me translate. Go to your online bank statement, right? Like it's, you know, he would say, show me your checkbook and I'll show you. I'll show you where your heart is. I'll show you where your passions are. Look at your online statement and say, "Where where does the money go? Like where their money goes, it shows where your heart is and where your passions are. If you have a hobby, I can tell you that you will find ways to scrape together the money to be able to invest in that hobby because your passion is there. Your heart is there, right? Every guitarist in here knows that they will scrape together whatever dollar they can to go buy that new guitar. And every spouse of the musician is like, really? You need another one? The five you have aren't good enough? Yes, you guys know if you're married to a musician. But you, you, you find that our passions will do that. So in other words, your treasure reveals what is most important to you. In terms of our approach to following Jesus, all we have to do is examine what we treasure and we can clearly see how serious we are. So today, as we examine our financial, um, as we're looking at the money and dollars and cents and our approach to following Jesus, as it relates to this, this is sometimes can be a touchy subject, but I think it's important that we open our hearts in Ephesians chapter 3, this is um, in the, the message um, version of the Bible, which um, sometimes I, is enlightening to, to read the message version. And uh, they, they emphasize things that, um, anyhow, I, I think it's a highlight. It's almost like reading like the Ebonics. Have you read the Ebonics Bible before? I can't understand everything that's in there, but it is hilarious. I love it. So um, Ephesians 3 in the message, God can do anything you know, far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. He does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us and his spirit deeply and gently within us. We've got to pause. We've got to pray. We've got we to position our hearts because God wants to work something deep inside of us. He wants to work something deep inside of us. And here's what I found is that there are attitudes towards money in the church. There are multiple attitudes towards money in the church. And the first one I want to talk about this is, is all they want is my money. All they want is my money. The church, that's all they want. That's all they're after. Has anybody ever heard that one before? Right? Oh, I've heard that one before. The church that is after the money. And, and, and let's set the record straight. Like there's, there's some situations out there where it's easy to look at it, right? 
you can always find somebody in any industry that it looks like that's, they're not wholesome in what they're doing. Every industry ever. Go, go look, you'll find something. It's easy. I mean, it's really easy, especially in the church world. And so um, this, this accusation is all the ones my money. This is usually an accusation that is found in a bad experience. It's found in a bad experience. And, and I'll be honest, I, I can turn on the TV and, and there are some preachers, pastors on TV talking about they need a new private plane and, and they're raising money for jets and stuff. And you're like, really? Really? Is that, is that really what you need? But as, as, as churches, we can, we can quickly go like, boy, this seems like maybe not the best use of, of resources. And so then we become very skeptical of every church and every pastor and every ministry and everything that's going on out there. There are people out there that have not handled finance as well. And as a pastor of a church, I, want, I need to apologize for that because churches have, some cases, have not done well with handling money. There's plenty of bad examples to look at. There's churches that have abused people, there are churches that have manipulated people, um, churches that have mishandled things. And I'm sorry for that. If you've had one of those experiences, I'm sorry for that. It's something we try our best here at, at City Church to go above and beyond with all of our transparency and, the, and our accountability in every single area that we can be transparent and accountable. We, we try our best to be that here at the church. You know, this second conversation about tithing and generosity is, you know, it, it's way more about our hearts and our bank accounts. Because... God doesn't need your money. He is provider of, of all things. He, he wants your heart is what he wants. He wants your heart. That, that's what he's after. You know, but our finances are a barometer of where our heart is. Finances are a barometer of where our heart is. In Deuteronomy 14, it says that the purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put God first in your life. Put God first. Is God first in our life? You see, God, God's, God's quite all right with you having other loves in your life. You can buy that other guitar, buy guitar number six or seven, keyboard number two or three, because keyboards are more expensive. Drum set number one, there's no need for two drum sets, let's be honest. I had two at one point in time. It was ridiculous. They take up so much space. It's okay. God's okay with you having other loves in your life. He just wants to be your number one love in your life. Right? You have passions. God's word is not saying abandon all passions, abandon every love in your life and just do this one thing. He's saying, no, 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 no. Just, I want to be first in your life. You can have all these other loves and all these other passions. God wired you and put those passions and those loves and those things inside of you for a reason, to be a blessing to others. But, but he have these things in your life for a reason. He's not saying neglect all of that. He just wants to be the first love. He doesn't want to be in fifth place. He wants to be in first place. You know, probably the most famous scripture on the subject of, of tithing and, and of giving and generosity is in Malachi chapter 3. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, you're under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. So the word tithe means one-tenth. means 10%. It means 10%. Sometimes, you know, we can Maybe think tithe means what I decided that I wanted to give. But tithe does not mean decide. It literally means one-tenth. It's 10%. And so that's what the Lord is asking. He asked for 10%. And in here in Malachi, there's this distinction between tithes and offerings. And these are really separate forms of generosity. So we're commanded in Scripture to bring the Lord the tithe. What's the first 10% or, or one-tenth of our income? See, but tithing isn't the ceiling of generosity for Christians. It's actually the floor 
if, if you say that tithes is the 10% and offerings is, uh, uh, is even beyond that. We should be marked as people who are insanely generous everywhere that we go. Christians should be not be known as stingy. They should be known as generous. Uh, I have, uh, my, my sister worked in the restaurant industry for quite some time. And all the servers would complain about Sundays, working Sundays, because the, the tips were lower than other days of the week. People getting out of church, going to the restaurant, they were tipping lower. Listen, I'm telling you, you should be blessing people who are serving you, not just on Sundays, but everywhere. People are watching. People are watching your behavior. They're watching my behavior. We've got to find ways that, that our generosity marks us. That, you know what I mean? Like, like I'm not saying, you know, I'm going to leave 18% and a track so they get saved. No, no, no. Don't do that. Have you seen those fake million-dollar bills, you know? And they're like, I'm going to leave a fake million-dollar bill. Ha, 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 ha. You know, they don't think it's funny, right? Like, it's, it, 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 that, that's really kind of tacky. But, but I'm just, you know, be a generous person. You know, be a generous person everywhere that, that you go. People know. People watch. They watched you pray for your meal. They know you're a Christian. They watch you behave in ways. They understand that you're a Christian from other behaviors in your life. So is every area of your life submitted to the Lord? And do, you, do people see that? Do people see that? Tithing isn't the ceiling. It, it's, it isn't, isn't the ceiling. It's the floor. So we start with a tithe, and anything we give above the 10% is considered an offering. So many of you have reached this level of discipleship, and you've, you give 10%. You see, you've learned to trust God with everything, and, and you're a steward of your resources. You see, stewarding is the word we use, and we use that on purpose because the reality is we don't actually own anything. We're just stewards of what God has given us. Every resource we have available to us is given by God. And so we're stewards of it. It's something that he's, he's, he's entrusted with us. And the underlying attitude is this. It's mine, so stop telling me what to do with it. When we're like, I'm not going to, why would I tithe? It's mine. I'd stop telling me what to do with it. But when we are Christ followers, we realize that if everything comes from the Lord, it's not mine. Here's a great example. Um, my kids needed um, some sort of an internet device for school, right? They need a, a tablet or a laptop or something to be able to, you know, it's the, the current day and age. If you have kids, you know this. So I had to buy an iPad. In fact, I bought two iPads uh, because I have two kids. They're both in school. They've got to do homework when they're at home, and they have to log into the internet and do it. So I, I, we bought two iPads, one for each of our, our, of our kids. And, um, and so now they use it exclusively for homework. No, no I'm just kidding. They, they have apps. They can play games on it. They play games on it. You know, uh, actually, I, I feel like they might do more games than, than homework. I'm not sure if the homework thing was just a ploy, but whatever. We have them now. But let me explain to you the conversation that happened in our house as our kids received their iPads. Hey, look, um, mom and dad, we're buying iPads so that you guys can do schoolwork. There are iPads, and we're going to let you use them. Okay, that sounds great. Okay, well then, you know, well, this one, we're going to let Eden use this one, and this one, we're going to let Bria use this one. And so they're like, okay, we got it. And so, and then, so then they're, they're thinking about this, and they're like, so your iPads, yeah, our iPads, parents' iPads, we're letting you use them. And, and Eden says, so do I have to say, can I use the iPad you bought for me, or, or can I just call it my iPad? And I laughed, and I said, you know what, you're right. You're right. You know, it's so much simpler. Just, you can call this one yours and you can call this one mine. But who, whose iPads are they? Oh, they're, they're yours, mom and dad. They're yours. Okay. Who gets to use them? Well, we get to use them. Okay, sounds great. Listen, it's the same way. God gives you resources. 
And, and, and every conversation you have, you, you, are you saying, thank you, God, for all the resources you gave me, bestowed me so that I can buy, you know, a tank of gas today? No, you're just doing it. You're putting gas in your car and you're swiping the card and, and you're putting gas in your car and you're saying it's my money. And so if you're going and taking somebody out to lunch, you're not saying, I'm using the money that God gave me to be able to bless you to take you out to lunch today. No, you're just saying, hey, let me just pay the bill. Let me take you out to lunch. And, and you're, you're saying it's mine, but, but really you know that it's not yours. God gave it to you. That's the difference right there. What's the underlying attitude in the resource and the finances that we have at our disposal? Are, are, are they yours and nobody's going to tell you what to do with it? Or is it God's and you're going to submit how you use your resources? You're going to steward them to be able to use your resources in the way that God has instructed all of us to use it. Who owns the iPad? Dad does. Who uses them? The kids do. Who owns your finances? God does. Who uses them? You do. That's the underlying principle between stewardship and ownership. We are stewarding the resources that God has given us. And we steward them to do good things. We really do. Some of you are paying for college for your kids. That's fantastic. You're helping your kids get a leg up. Some of you are, are paying off the student loans that you accrued in college, and, and, and you should. You should pay those things off. Don't let them roll into default, right? You, you're, you're paying off student loans. There's some things we're spending money on that we don't see the results of necessarily in our day-to-day -day life. It's not like we're out there, you know, slapping money and like driving Ferraris and, you know, and then popping bottles of Cristal, doing like partying out, right? We're, it, it, there's money going to good places and good resources, right? We're investing in things and retirements. And, and it, it's, I'm not saying that nobody's you're spending money in bad things. I'm just saying this, God wants to be number one. He doesn't want to be number five. Tithing, it doesn't take faith to tithe on the last 10% of your income. It takes faith to tithe on the first 10%. It takes faith to, to do the 10% first and then live on the rest rather than trying to live on it and see, can I wait and do I have 10% left over at the end? That's not faith. We forget sometimes that, that we have what was provided by someone else, God, and many times we are willing to give back a portion of what was all his to begin with, we have to keep, quit thinking categorically that it's our money at all. It's not ours. It's, it's actually his. You know, and, and tithing isn't just an Old Testament principle. It's in the New Testament as well. A couple of different places Jesus himself talks about tithing. In one area, in Matthew 23, it says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, and you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. See, how we give reveals as much about our hearts as the fact that we give. You see, the Pharisees were letter of the law, calculating it down to the penny, making sure that every single aspect of their life, they were calculating the, the 10%, calculating the tithe to be able to make sure that that was just right. But they were neglecting all these other things. It's not either or. It, it's a both and scenario. Remember, God isn't concerned with the money, but the heart. So you can do the right thing with the wrong attitude and the wrong heart. And, and it, it doesn't get it done. You know what I mean? Like the heart is what matters in there. Remember, the reason for the tithe is to show that we are putting God's, God first. It's possible to fulfill the law and miss our heart completely. Miss our heart completely. Number two is this, I can't afford it. Number two is, is I, I can't afford it. When you talk about attitudes in the church. Malachi 3, it continues and it says this, Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see that I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there is not room enough to store it. And I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and vines in your field will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. See, the Lord challenges you to test it. 
test him in this area. It's the only place in the Bible where he says to test him. In fact, if you take the the first part of the verse we read, and and it says, how are you robbing me? God says, you're robbing me. You're robbing me. And and I used to read this and think, oh yeah, I'm robbing God of the money. And then when you really read it in context, it's almost like, no, God is saying, you're robbing me of, of putting the blessing on your life. Like when you look at it from in the entire context, God is saying, I, I want to bless your life, but you're robbing me of that blessing that I'm trying to pour out on your life. The Lord challenges here to test him and let us know there are some promises associated with our obedience in the area of finances. In keeping with the idea that God is about the heart, let me speak to some baggage that you may have from past. You see, some churches get legalistic about this. Some people do. They, I've recently heard some stories about churches that, that will rank people based on how much money they give. And there's like a VIP club if you give certain amounts of money. And, and we, don't, we don't have the VIP club, um, just for the record. Well, we don't do that. We're, we're, we're never going to do that. Um, that's not something that is, is in, in my heart or the heart of the leadership at all. I, I heard a story a while back about somebody, a pastor going to somebody's door, knocking on their door saying, like, hey, you haven't paid your tithes in a while. You know, it's time to pay up. Like, like that's crazy to me. Like, I can't imagine how um, people would ever, it's just so foreign concept to me about that kind of stuff happening. Listen, people aren't judged or, or ranked on that. In fact, I, I want you to know that I get a number every week. I get the Tuesday report of the last seven days of giving because we operate on a budget at the church and, um, and I, we make sure that the income is gonna match up with everything that's going on in the church on the budget side. I, I want you to know that I'm not pouring through trying to figure out who gives what. Um, I don't get that list of every person's individual donations and, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not doing that because I don't wanna ever look at anybody from that filter, right? And so I just want you to know that as a church, we, we, we try to be as accountable as possible. We have teams that handle that um, side of it, but, but I don't handle that side of it. And I don't want to handle that side of it because I don't want to look at anybody as like, oh yeah, you're this and you're this. No, because that's, that's not what is the ranking. That's not where the ranking is. I, I, wanna, I want you to be able to trust God with the step of taking the tithe because, because the Bible says that you'll be blessed. It does. It says that you'll be blessed. This isn't about me. This isn't about our church. This is about you and what God wants to do in and through your life. You can't afford not to tithe, in my opinion. Some people say you can't afford to tithe. I would say you can't afford not to tithe. If you find yourself in a position where the month is a little more than the money on a regular basis, I would say that the devourer is coming into your fields and stealing stuff from you. And it says in here that he will rebuke the devourer. He will, you know, he will make sure that your, your, your harvest is, is, is abundant. He says you know, um, that there will not be enough room to store it, the blessing, the floodgates of heaven, the blessing will I'll prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your field will not drop their fruit before it's ripe. You might have some pests devouring your crops and your fruit might be getting rotten before you can harvest it. And when you find yourself, like all of a sudden these, these things are just always piling up and you can never quite make everything meet. I'm telling you that when you are disciplined in the tithe, you, you unlock the blessing of God in your life in, in many areas, not just in your wallet. In Haggai chapter one, it says this, is, is it a time for you to, for yourselves to be living with your paneled houses while this house maintains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says, give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you're not warm. You earn wages, but only to put them in a purse with holes in it. If you're always running out at the end of the month, there never seems to be enough. I dare you to test God. God says, test me in this. I I dare you to test God. Put him to the test. Put him to the trial and see what might happen. When you engage the supernatural, 
There's things that happen that you just can't explain and you can't control. The supernatural gets engaged. Number three, number three is this. Someone else will pay for it. Somebody else will pay for it. Have you ever been to a lunch meeting and forgot your wallet? Happened to me the other day. Is that a lunch meeting? I called it. I organized it. Kind of the rule of thumb socially is that if you organize a meeting and you call and invite someone to lunch, the rule of thumb is that you're going to pay. Like that's, that's kind of the rule of thumb. And uh, in fact, it was with um, Jim Curtis here. And, and uh, it was a few, maybe a couple months ago now. Um, but Jim Curtis and I went to lunch. I invited him to lunch. We sat there. In fact, by the way, if you know Jim Curtis, he's been fighting cancer. Um, he, just had, he just told me that um, he had tests and it's gotten even smaller and his numbers are better. I mean, he is just making massive progress, massive progress. Pancreatic cancer, right? Pancreatic cancer is pretty serious. And, and, and anyhow, he is just getting better and better and better. And, and we're just seeing really miraculous healing in his life. So, so anyhow, that was a fantastic praise report. But we went to lunch. I went to lunch with Jim Curtis. And, and I invited him, so I should have been the one to pay. That's kind of the rule. And so we're sitting there. We order food. And, and I'm realizing in the moment, I was like, oh, I don't have my wallet. And, and as I'm ordering, I, can, I remember, oh, no. And so I'm like, hey, Jim, so um, this is awkward. Uh, can you buy my lunch today? You know, and, and he, he laughed. We both laughed. And he's like, yeah, sure, buddy. You know, it'll cost you, but yeah. You know, so he, he no, I'm kidding. But he, 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 paid, he paid for lunch, but I totally forgot my, my wallet, right? And have you ever done that? You, you showed up and somebody else paid for you, right? Have you ever done that? Someone else paid for you and you're like, oh, this is so awkward. I can't believe this. And then, and then, of course, forever you think about it, right? He's probably long forgotten about it, but I'm always like remembering now. Every time we go get coffee or hang out or anything happens, I'm always like, I'll pay for it. Remember last time, remember last time. And I've probably like five times that over now at this point because of my embarrassment of, of, of me now paying for it. Sometimes we can do that in church is a mentality that we can get is somebody else will pay for it. People will come to church the same way. We, we hand out lots of resources every week. We, we do a lot of stuff every week. In fact, there's, there's, a, there's a few things that we do. If you, if you have kids, you'll notice our kids' classrooms are well-stocked with supplies and, and resources and crafts and, and things that we're giving out every, every single week, you know. Um, we have, uh, in fact, we, we, uh, we've given away books at times for different sermon series that we've done. We, we, we give away resources as, as, much as, we, as much as we can. And in fact, there's this, we just signed up the church for something called Right Now Media. Some of you guys got an email this week. You're going to get it next week and maybe the week after um, because, anyhow, it's what happened. But um, it's like a Netflix for church. And, and there's so many fantastic biblical resources in there that you can do studies, video-driven studies and text studies and stuff just at home on your own if you want to. Or it could be a resource that if, you have, if you're starting, want to start a small group next semester, there's some small group material in there that maybe, maybe you wanted to start a small group on a subject, but you weren't sure how to do it. This is like some great, a great tool for you to be able to use. If you have, if you have kids, in fact, there's so, many, so much kids content when I was a kid, we used to pass around the VeggieTales DVDs, you know, and we would, you know, what is a DVD the kids say nowadays? But, but yeah, you can stream all of that and like exponentially more for your kids and give your kids great biblical content um, all at the push of a button on your phone or anything. So if you see an email for that, it, it's real. And, and, and it's but something that, that we invest in as a church because I want you to be able to continue to grow in your, in your faith. You know, we've, we've done things around here that have been kind of cool. Uh, we, we actually blew out the lobby this past, it was actually in 2019, we we blew out the, the front of the lobby and got that all done up and decorated and and and, and really uh, it's really it's really nice now and and so you know we we, we did that and 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 then we had the um, because of your generosity we bought new laundry equipment for uh, the orphanage and the children's home in Mexico this last year and then at Christmas time we we did fifty five kids got an amazing Christmas because um, so many of us stepped up and, and gave and and were were generous right. 
Sometimes we can fall into the habit of thinking that somebody else is going to pay for it, but, but that's, that's not the case because somebody else did pay for it. We're all sitting in chairs that somebody else paid for. Um, and, and so, well, maybe you paid for it if, if you were around that long ago, but we're sitting in chairs. And, and, but there's some things that, that we do moving forward that, 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 have to be, that have to be done in the church. And, and so we've given away books, and we did the Right Now Media, and, and the, the, the Children's Orphanage Home and, and stuff. It, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty amazing what we've done so far. We're able to do that because so many people are faithful month in and month out. Month in and month out, we're able to be able to budget for this stuff and be able to do more and be able to bless more people. I can tell you, if, if you're here this morning, many of you would say that you've been blessed by the ministry of our church, whether it's on Sunday mornings or in small groups or a combination of. You, the financial resources that come into the door make all of that possible. Everyone here has received a blessing in some way or another. There's a book that was written, and uh, Randy Alcorn writes this book called Money, Possessions, and Eternity. And he has this quote, and I want to put it on the screen. It says, one day everyone must answer these three questions. Where did it all go? <laughs> Some of us ask that question on a regular basis. <laughs> what did I spend it on? And what has been accomplished for eternity through my, my use of all of the wealth? Where did it go? What did I spend it on? Was it nothing but fast food and, and, and fast cars? And, you know, like what eternal impact has, has the resources that God has given us, where has it gone? And what's the eternity, that it, the internal impact it's had? I want to give you a few practical steps. And I know we're supposed to be wrapping up here in about 15 minutes. I have about two hours worth of content here. You guys are game for it, right? No. All right. Now, there's a fine line between a drawn-out sermon and a hostage situation. <laughs> Number one is live by percentages. Live by percentages. Luke chapter 12 um, it says this, that where your treasure is, your heart is. So where is your treasure? Is it in your kid's education? Is it your fashion, your clothing? Is it, is it in your health or your fitness? Cosmetic surgery, your appearances, your, your spending habits, they're going to reveal your priorities. Show me your bank statement and I'll show you your priorities. My money is God's money, therefore he expects, it to manage it, expects me to manage it well. Bankers use percentages when they're determining different things. Um, and so if you're going to get a mortgage, there's percentages that they look at. They look at what's your income, what's your debt, what's your debt to income ratio, what are the percentages that you look at. And then they have a percentage of how much house you can afford. So if, if, you, if you make, I don't know, easy math, because I'm not a mathematician, $10,000 a month, that, that, might, that could be a lot, $10,000 a month, then they say 25% is your maximum housing budget. So then your mortgage can only be $2,500 a month, which means, so then that turns into, this is the kind of house you can buy if you want to go buy a house, right? There's, there's, and, and maybe those aren't, percentages aren't exactly right, but these are the percentages I'm going to work with because this is where I believe that good stewardship of your resources falls into percentages. So whether you're making a little or you're making a lot, if you operate and behave within the percentages of your income, you start to see how the percentage matters more than the dollar amount. Because we can look at the dollar amount and we can get misled. Every one of us can do it. We can get misled, oh, that was only 50 bucks. That was only 25 bucks. We can go out shopping and spend a little bit here and a little bit there. But at the end of the month, what's the percentage of your income that you spent in these different categories? And so here's the percentages as by Dave Ramsey, who is given. This is Dave Ramsey. This is what he says and, and, and is about the percentages. And these percentages are things that you can easily, if you can live within these percentages, you're going to find yourself in a great place. 10% giving, 10% saving, 
10% food, utilities, housing, transportation, it's all written up in there, right? And, and so if you can find your, get your life to live in those percentages, then, then you can find yourself living in a place of financial freedom where you own the money, the money you control the money, the money doesn't control you. And so you've got to live by percentages. That was number one. Number two, become a conduit for God's blessing. Become a conduit for God's blessing. See, God wants to bless people around you. And he wants to do it through you. He wants to bless people around you, and he wants to do it through you. There are three types of conduits that I have found, three types of people um, in blessing. And, and there's different types of conduits. Number one is the flint conduit. You gotta bang that thing hard. I mean, and, and the heart, you gotta hit it really hard. And if you hit it hard, you get a little bit of spark and you get a little bit of a, a jump out of it. You get, you get a little bit, right? You, you gotta hammer it and all you get is some chips and some sparks out of it. I don't wanna be a flint conduit. I don't want God to have to kind of hammer me to do that. I don't want that at all, right? I don't, the second one is a sponge conduit. You could be a, a sponge conduit, which means when you squeeze it, the water comes out. When you squeeze it, the water comes out. Listen, I don't want to be a, a kind of a person who only blesses people when I feel the squeeze coming on, right? When I, when I feel this, when the, when the pastor gets up and talks about dollars and cents, and I'm like, oh, man, the pressure. Listen, I don't want you to feel pressure. But, but I don't want to be a squeeze. I don't want to be a sponge um, type of, of conduit. To get water out of a sponge, you got to squeeze it. And the more pressure, the more you get. That's, that's not the kind of conduit of blessing that, that we need to be. Here, here's what I think we need to be. We need to be a honeycomb. A honeycomb. Have you, have you seen the honeycomb? If you, if the honeycomb that's, that's loaded up, you pick it up and it just oozes out. It just falls out. And, and, and the sweet goodness, the nectar of the bees, you know, it just falls and out and drips off of this thing. I want to be in, in a place where, where the, the blessing of God through me to others just naturally flows off of me onto those that are around. And that's my heart and my prayer for everyone here, that we would be people who are blessings to everybody around us in ways that, that it just kind of rolls off of us. It just kind of oozes and, and drips onto those that are around us. It just overflows with its own sweetness. If the band would come, we're going to wrap up. And the last one is this, is number three, is, is we're going to choose stewardship. We're going to choose stewardship. It's God's. I say it's mine, but I know it's God's. God, you own it. I'm going to use it. I'm going to steward it. It's funny. I read that during the Middle Ages, churches would sometimes hire mercenaries to fight their battles. It sounds a little strange. Why would a church hire a mercenary? Why would the church even have a battle? Well, so, you know, our church is called City Church. We've had that name for quite a long time. Just recently, another church opened up in town, and they decided to call themselves New City Church. So I'm considering hiring a mercenary <laughs> to go cut the sign down. Yeah, you know, why do churches have battles? I, I don't. I don't know. But you know, New City Church is a great church, by the way. And Nate Bush is the pastor. He and I are friends. We have hung out multiple times, and we give each other a hard time to call him the new shiny city church, and he calls me the old dried up city church. And um, yeah, and then I slashed his tires. So. It'd be strange to have mercenaries hired to go out and fight your battles for you, you know. But that's something they did back then. You know, it was something that they did. Um, the, the church um, or the priests, they needed to fight a battle. They would hire some soldiers to do their dirty work. However, before the mercenary could be sent in the battle, the church needed to baptize them. Again, kind of strange. Because if it's going to be a battle, maybe it's a holy battle. So we're going to baptize the guy so he's commissioned on a holy mercenary mission to go kill people. I don't, seems so wrong. 
But the mercenaries would actually do this thing. They would baptize them, but they would, they would pull out their sword and they would hold their sword in the air and they would baptize them underwater and they'd stand back up and their sword would not be baptized so that their sword could do the work that they needed it to do while the person controlling the sword would still be holy. They would hold certain parts. It was such a weird thing. It's such a weird concept. So that God would not control their weapons. Isn't that interesting? The person was saying, God, you can do whatever you want with me except for my sword. I'm in control of the sword. People approach their faith like that. We hold things out and say, God, everything else you can have, but you can't have this. You can have everything else in my life, but you can't have my relationship because I want to be in control of my relationship. In today's day and age, God, you can have everything in my life, but you can't control my sexuality. I want, my own, I want to control the sexuality part of me. You, God, you control every part of this, but this anger that I'm not, I'm so angry with my parents and I'm bitter. I, I'm going to hold the bitterness out. You can have everything else, but you can't have the bitterness. That's, that, that's, that's mine and I'm controlling it. Christians, sometimes we hold our wallets out too. We, we say, God, you can have everything else, but you can't have the money. You can't control that side of it. I think these mercenaries miss something. And I think we miss something when we don't trust God and, and follow God in, in all the areas of our life. I, I got to tell you, I'm so thankful, so thankful for people in this church who obey God completely and give generously and cheerfully because many, many of you do. And, and I'm so grateful for that. I'm not trying to guilt you into anything, but this is certainly something that we have to think about because it's mentioned all through the Bible. It controls a big section of who we are and what we do. So my question is, have you baptized your wallet? Have you submitted even your finances to God? Are they his and he's letting you use them or are they yours and nobody's gonna tell you what to do? Will you bow your heads? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for all of the provision that you have given to each and every one of us. God, I pray that, that, um, that we would look at our resources as a stewardship thing, God, that we would look at, at what you have given us and and God, that we would understand that we have a responsibility to behave in a way that is honoring to you. God, help us to keep you first and make you our first love and keep you first in every area of our life, even in our finances. And I pray all these things in your name, amen. Church, will you stand with me? Let's sing one last song before we leave. There is a light, salvation's flame. Christ undefeated trampled the grave. See now the cross be lifted high. The light has come, the light has won. Behold the Christ. The light has won, the light has won. Behold the
wonderful week.